0: You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Well, today we're starting our family-friendly series called At the Movies, and we're encouraging you to, as you watch movies, to, to look at God in the midst of movies, to, to look for principles of scripture, to, to look at, for things that may not be scriptural, and discuss these with your family, with your friends, and take the moment to, to teach your children, your grandchildren, to discuss it as friends of things that really stuck out to you in the movies that you watch, whether at the theater or at home. Uh, A few weeks ago, I got the chance to watch the documentary on Mr. Rogers' life, Won't You Be My Neighbor? How many of you watched Mr. Rogers growing up or you know who Mr. Rogers is? How many of you have no clue who Mr. Rogers is? (laughs) There's probably several in this room. You're like, I don't know who Mr. Rogers is. You might know Daniel the Striped Tiger, uh, which is a spinoff. How many of you know Daniel the Striped Tiger? It's a spinoff of one of Mr. Rogers' favorite characters uh, on his show, and actually the character that he said he related to most. Just a few details about Mr. Rogers. He was an ordained Presbyterian minister that felt a calling to create wholesome children's television programs. Uh, he, his show wasn't preachy, But he was always preaching Uh, to my knowledge he never used god or, or the bible in his shows but he was constantly demonstrating christ throughout his shows mr rogers showed us that you don't have to be on stage to preach the gospel you can do it at home at school within your job mr rogers hosted over 895 episodes over 31 seasons, uh, the show debu- deb- debuted on February the 19th, 1968, and his final episode aired on August the 3rd, or 31st of 2001. Mr. Rogers was married to the same woman, Joanna, until his death. Their marriage lasted 47 years, and then he died of stomach cancer at the I- age of 74 on February the 27th of 2003. Mr. Rogers got into TV uh, for the first time because he saw a TV show where people were throwing pies at each other's faces. And he thought this was horrible. He said, I went into television because I hated it so. I, I thought there was some way of using this fabulous instrument to be, to be of nurture to those who would watch and listen. And that was kind of his whole heart of what really challenged him to get into television. And when we look at Mr. Rogers and his TV programs, he had two basic themes. The first is that you are special and you are loved. Essentially, he was saying you're made in the image of God. Others may say hurtful things to you. They may make jokes about you. They may point out your flaws. But Mr. Rogers really wanted to make sure everyone knew that they were made in the image of God, that they were special. Mr. Rogers didn't try to deny the feelings, though, of being hurt. If you noticed in his puppets, they often portrayed feelings of anxiety, of anger, of pain. But he always came back around and reminded you that you were special, that God cared about you. Again, he didn't use the word God, but basically that's what he was saying. And that wasn't just for his shows. As I read and watched so many things about his life, uh, in his home in Pittsburgh, people would come up to him and, and he would always take the time to listen to the story and, they would, and he would make them feel special. When he lived in Nantucket, same thing. People would see him on the beach walking or whatever the case may be and, and he'd spend time and he would just remind them of how they were special. When we, we saw him do it with his own children, his own children said, Do you know how tough it was to live in Mr. Rogers' household? The second theme that he reminded his audience of was to love your neighbor, to treat others with kindness and respect, that your neighbor was made in the image of God. One of the reasons I think he demonstrated this on his show was at an early age, kids made fun of him. He was called Fat Freddy, and he said, I was easy to pick on because I was big, I was quiet, I was a little clumsy, and I was often sick. And he said, those kids making fun of me hurt me, and and I just wanted other kids not to be treated this way. Isn't that relevant today? So many times we see bullying take place in school and in our workplace. Sometimes hurtful words are said in person. Sometimes they're said through text or on social media. Sometimes we feel the sting of those words, whether they're said to you or about you. Beyond having just bullying take place, sometimes even when we disagree, people began to insult us. For example, with politics. How many times have you seen conversations get heated quickly? And we throw insults at each other. You're liberal or you're a right-wing nut. Your car party kills babies. Well, your party sells unmanned aircraft to kill people. And, and we just go back and forth and we blame each other. It's hard to have civil conversations anymore. Sometimes we, when we talk about immigration, we have strong opinions and we begin to insult each other instead of loving our neighbor. When we talk about Uh, sports teams how many times have we seen some natural ribbing get out of hand quickly and begins to hurt the other person's feelings and sometimes even go into a physical confrontation i've seen it happen at church over theological issues you're liberal or you're legalistic or i just read the bible like i don't read the bible Sometimes in church, we get heated and we, we begin to throw insults out. My friend Brian Jennings calls this, the way that we handle disagreements, the culture, in our culture, the bunker mentality. You kind of see a picture up on screen. He says, we get into bunkers and we only want to hang out with people who are like-minded. And then anyone who's not like-minded, we lob grenades and we shoot at them. We throw insults with anyone who disagrees with us. We trade insults back and forth. We attack instead of love. Instead of having open and honest conversations. Loving, instead of loving people despite people that we don't understand where they're coming from. He says we've lost the attitude of loving our neighbor as ourself. In the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, this type of mentality of bullying and hurting others, who may not agree with you, who might look differently than you do, or who might be different, really bothered Mr. Rogers. And I think he took the words very serious from Luke chapter 10. A story that many of you know well, it's called the Good Samaritan. Before Jesus tells a story, there's a, a lawyer. Not a lawyer like what we think of today, it would be more like a religious professor. And he knew the Bible inside and out. He knew the Hebrew scriptures. And he asked this question. He says, he asked Jesus, well, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, he may be asking, what do I need to go, do to go to heaven? But another scholar said he may ask, be asking, what can I do to have a fulfilling life? A life that makes a difference on this earth. A, a life that, that's not wasted. Uh, We're a life that we bring heaven to this earth to make a huge impact. And and Jesus hears the question, and he asks him a question. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I mean, you're this great scholar. You're this great expert. And and the lawyer basically quotes Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And What? Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you're right, dude, you got it. No problem. You want a fulfilling life? You want to make a difference? Love God and love your neighbor. But verse 29 says, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? This man had an agenda he asked, who is my neighbor? He has knowledge of the law. He knew what it said, but he was looking for a way out. There was someone in his life that he didn't want to love. Maybe it was someone in the other bunker. Maybe it was someone of a different skin color or a different nationality. Maybe it was a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or an alcoholic or a drug addict. Maybe someone with different values than what he had. Maybe someone that had even hurt him. But he was looking for a way out. And Jesus could have answered. He could have given a long list of everyone to love. He could have just put press print on the printer and said, hey, just go love these people that I tell you to. Or he could have just said, hey, love all people. But he didn't do that. He he told a story, which that's basically what movies are, right? They're telling a story because Jesus knows that stories captivate us. And he tells a story about a Jewish man who was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He had probably just finished his church service. Maybe he was humming his favorite song. Maybe he was thinking about getting excited about vacation Bible school coming up. And and, and he was just humming along and he was walking down this trail. It's about 17 miles It drops about 4,000 feet. It's called the Bloody Way. It's surrounded by mountains. It was known for bandits to come out and rob people. And so sure enough, he's walking down there, and they jump out, and they beat him up. They take his clothes. They take his iPhone. They take his jewelry. They take his wallet. I mean, they, they just do a number on him, and he's left for dead. He's bleeding out. But... It's this man's lucky day, because there's two other Jewish men that are walking on the same highway, and they are a priest and a Levite. They're religious men. I mean, this is like Clark and one of our elders, like Jack, and they had just finished going to church. I mean, they had just finished working on the VBS stuff, and they saw that your car was broke down. You said, oh, great. I mean, these guys are going to help me push the car out, and they're going to get me help. But guess what? They don't stop to help. Clark thinks, man, I'm tired from working. I need to go home and take a nap. Jack says, well, man, I got to go watch TV. I got some other important things to do. And that's shocking. Why, Why wouldn't these Jewish religious men help this man who's bleeding, who's hurt? We have to ask the question, why? And I'm sure there's probably many answers, but I just want to give you a couple of suggestions. One, I can't help but wonder if it wasn't convenient. It wasn't convenient to take the time to help this man. Now, you don't see it in the text here, but if this man dies, they would have been unclean for seven days. And they would have had to go and purify themselves on the third and the seventh day. That's what the Old Testament tells us. And so they're thinking, well, you know... The guy's only breathing a little. He's probably going to die. Maybe we should just keep on going. Maybe they did have things to do. Maybe they're like, well, you know, I got synagogue services to have. I got teachings to do. I mean, I got to get ready for VBS. I got all these noble things to do. I I really don't have time to take care of this guy. I can't just get a few Band-Aids out. I mean, this guy's going to die anyway. The parable says that, says that they walked on the other side of the road. Now, I think Jesus could be being funny right here because my understanding is this road was so narrow, there really wasn't an other side. They had to literally like tiptoe over him. So I think maybe the, one of the reasons they didn't help him was because it wasn't convenient. Maybe the second reason was fear. What happened to the guy? He got beat up by bandits. And they're thinking, well, if this guy got beat up, Same thing could happen to us. Maybe they're watching us, and maybe they're going to do the same thing to us. I mean, sometimes we're fearful with helping people, aren't we? What if they don't want our love? What will other people say? Sometimes helping people is messy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's inconvenient. Now, back to the story. These good Jewish guys, they, they walk on by. But then this person that you don't expect, you kind of fill in the blank for that. Someone that the least likely person that you would expect to help the guy helps him. Maybe it's a rapist. Maybe it's someone who abuses children. Maybe it's a murderer. It's this guy who stops and helps this Jewish man. The Bible actually says it's a Samaritan man. And Jews didn't like Samaritans. They were a mixed race. They married into a pagan culture. They went against the Bible. And the man, the Samaritan man is helping this Jewish man, and this Jewish man probably doesn't even like him, probably wouldn't even have associated with him. But this Samaritan man loves this man who may not like him. And he bandages him up, and he takes him to the hospital, and he says, hey, I'm going to pay your way. Verse 33 says, Then a despised Samaritan Came along, despised. Again, he's not liked. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. That word compassion is more than just an emotion. If you look in the Gospels, you'll see how it's used in a few different places. You'll see it come up on screen. Matthew nine thirty six. Jesus was traveling from town, teaching and healing, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And they were sheep without a shepherd, and then he tells his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And he's challenging his disciples, saying, hey, all of these people are lost, and we need to have more workers to come out and minister to them, disciple them. Matthew 14, 14, Jesus was spending some time alone, and the crowds heard where he was headed, and he saw them, and he had compassion, and he healed them. And then he fed five thousand of them. Compassion leads to action. Luke seven thirteen. A widow lived in Nain, and there was a funeral going. There was a widow that lived in Nain, and her son passed away, and there was a funeral going on. A- and, and he stops at the casket, and he and he sees this widow crying. and he says, "Hey, don't cry." And he goes up to it and touches it and speaks, and the boy all of a sudden pops up out of the casket. Can you imagine if you were part of that funeral? <laughs> Jesus was moved to compassion and it led to action. In Luke 15:20, the story of the prodigal son, we have a rebellious son that basically says, "Dad, I wish you were dead." He takes his inheritance, he goes and wastes it all. He a famine takes place. And he's basically eating with the pigs. And he's like, "Man, the servants of my dad eat better than this. Maybe I can just come back and be a servant." And he starts walking back, and his dad sees him, and he's filled with compassion. And the dad runs to him and puts a ring on his hand and puts a robe around him and throws a party. Compassion in action. Jesus ends the parable that we're talking about. He says, now, which of the three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked? The man, the the lawyer, the religious man said, The one who showed him mercy. Notice he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. My friend Caleb Kottenbach points out loving people is not a theory, it's an attitude. Well, we can talk about loving people, but love demands action. We don't have to like everyone, but we are required to love them. That love is not indifferent. Love causes us to get off the sidelines and to do something. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. There was a time when people were dumping bleach and cleaning chemicals into uh, acid and things like that into swimming pools where African Americans were swimming. And Mr. Rogers saw this injustice and addressed it on his show by washing his feet with an African-American police officer saying, hey, don't let skin color keep you from from swimming with others, that race shouldn't come into play, that we should love all people. Another time he brought a little boy that was in a wheelchair. And and this little boy had been shunned and made fun of by others and And he hears this little boy's story. And Mr. Rogers tells his audience, he says, hey, just because someone's in a wheelchair or or has some special needs, take time to love them. Listen to their story. Love your neighbor. See, our neighbor is anyone that God places on our path of life. We're called to love people who bully us, who hurt us. Who may live in a different bunker, who may be drastically different. But God causes us to have compassion and love. Let me end with this story. Savannah Phillips got on a flight to Chicago, and she got that dreaded middle seat. Everyone hates that middle seat, right? And so she's getting in, and she says, I'm not the biggest person on the plane, but I'm not the smallest either. And I go to sit down, and it's pretty obvious that the guy next to me is uncomfortable with me. He's a guy in his 60s with white hair. And he's just kind of making faces. And he said, she said, I didn't think a whole lot about it, but I just you try to do the best you can. I mean, when, when you're sitting down in that center seat. And she said, we're getting ready to take off. And then he takes out his cell phone about 12 inches from her face. And he's texting, and he said, I'm sitting next to a smelly fatty. And tears begin to run down her face. Then the pilot comes on and says, hey, we've had a delay. We're going to be sitting on the runway for 30 minutes. And she thinks, great, I'm going to have to sit by this jerk for another 30 minutes. This guy basically is ignoring her. And she said, next thing I know... The guy from behind me taps the guy on his shoulder. The guy takes off his headphones. He said, what do you need? He says, we're switching seats now. And the guy said, what are you talking about? He said, I saw what you wrote about her. And you're switching seats now. I'm not putting up with this. And so this guy comes from in back of her, switched seats and sits next to her and says, I don't want you to be discouraged by what this guy said his ugly words he said I saw his phone and it made me so mad I just started shaking I knew I had to do something and so I told the flight attendant that I was going to switch seats that I had to do something the flight attendant said you go for it she said the funny thing is that flight attendant kept on wanting to serve him free drinks the whole trip and he just sat and encouraged Savannah and Savannah said, you know what? You're my husband's new favorite person in the world. Thank you so much for encouraging me. She said, the guy's name was Chase. He works at Risky Row in Nashville. If you ever see him, let him know how much I appreciate him and how much he made a difference in my life. I don't know if Chase is a Christian or not, but I do know this. He understands what it means to love your neighbor. Yes, maybe it was an inconvenience to change chairs. Maybe there was some fear involved. But at the end of the day, he said, It doesn't matter. I'm going to love people. I'm not going to let people be mistreated. Who is God calling you to love today? Who is that person that might be difficult to love? Is it that homeless person? Is it a Muslim? Is it a person of a different race, a different political party, a person in a different bunker, your boss, your coworker? Maybe it's one of your kids. It might be your parents. Quite honestly, it might be someone here. Maybe it's that person at school that no one sits next to. When we love God, we can't help but love people. You, you can't separate the two. If you love God... You can't help but love your neighbor.